0: This talk was given by Patrick Yunan Kelly at the Zen Center of New York City. Yunin is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org slash Thanks for listening. You search for the ox. Wide rivers, eternal mountains, the path seems endless. With strength depleted and mind exhausted, you cannot find it. There is only the gentle rustle of the maple leaves and the cicada's evening song. Can you hear me in back? No? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so maybe that's better. Okay, good. So uh, good morning. Uh, My name is Yunin. Um, I am a a senior lay student here in the Mountains and Rivers Order, and I've also been lately working as the office manager, so I've I've been around a lot. Um, So if you contact the office, I may be the one that you're communicating with. Hojin-sensei, by the way, um, is up at session, but she'll be back down later next week. So this is uh, stage one of the ox-herding pictures. Uh, some of you were here last week. I, I spoke about stage four um, because that seemed, in my experience, it was <laughs> a lot of uh, working through this pandemic was sort of that, that, Hmm. that sort of up-and-down sense of struggling with this reality. But now I'm going back to the first one. Um, I mentioned before that these aren't necessarily linear. linear. Um, But... uh, I also... um, There's a... said a little bit about the ox pictures last week, but since there's a lot of new faces here, let me just reprise that a little bit. So these ox pictures, in a sense, it's a, uh, they're a map of the, the stages of spiritual practice. So when we take up a, a spiritual practice like the Zen tradition, these these herding pictures are a sort of uh, illustration or a map of, of what... Um, corresponds to the experience of of many people, perhaps. Um, They actually originate in China from maybe the 10th or 11th century. Uh, There's actually a a series of them hanging up on the wall back there, if you want to take a look. Uh, There are different versions. There are versions with eight pictures, with 10, with 12. The one we use has 10. Um, And each picture also has a, a poem that corresponds to that stage. So... And, and they, they sort of very briefly tell the story of a, a person, a seeker, who sets out to find this ox, which you can you know, very sort of, uh, I guess, schematically think of as whatever it is that you're looking for, you know, Buddha nature, uh, the self, enlightenment, the nature of reality. And so the pictures tell the story of that search. And so, as I said, it's traditional to think of these, uh, these pictures as illustrations of the stages of a spiritual journey, maybe over a whole lifetime. Uh, that's the way that, that um, Daito Roshi often spoke about them. Daito Roshi was the founder of this order. Um, but you could also think of them, I was just sitting with this, and I... I think you could also think of them as, as in a sense, every moment of practice. So in beginning instruction, we say, see the thought, let it go, and then come back to the counting, come back to your practice. And in a sense, you could think of this as see the ox, catch it, forget it, let it go, and come back to the marketplace. In every instant of, of practice, we're, in a sense, going through each of these. This whole series of ox herding pictures. So, in that sense, it's you know we can think of it as as and and it stages from one to ten. So we set that up. We think, okay, one followed by two, followed by three, followed by four, and so on. And that's a that's an important way of looking at it. That that does have some sense. But you know, it, it also goes backwards from ten to one, and it also happens all at once. So and and those don't really. Um, contradict each other either. Dogen says, walking forward has never ceased. Walking backward has never ceased. Walking forward does not oppose walking backward, nor does walking backward oppose walking forward. So this first picture is really, uh, traditionally, you can think of it as, as the beginning of the path, of the spiritual path. This seeker is, is looking for this ox. Maybe they heard about it. Someone spoke about it. Maybe they met someone who claimed to have found the ox. We're looking for something. You know, you may have a, a, a clear sense of what you're looking for, and maybe you don't. I was thinking about... Uh, again, Daito Roshi's story. He, he talked about how he came to Zen once. He, was, um, he saw a lecture by Soa Nakagawa, who was a Zen teacher. And they had some sort of informational uh, brochure. And there were pictures in it. And Daito said that he thought they did an awful job with the pictures. And he was a photographer, so he decided that he was going to show up at the monastery and fix their pictures for them. So he did, and he started working on that. And he started sitting while he was there and got deeper into the, the actual practice. But as, as he told that story anyway, he was more focused on fixing their bad pictures at first. So who knows, you know, whatever brought you here. So and Dido has a commentary on this picture. He says, the first stage of the training has to do with the search, with the emergence of questions and entering onto the path. There are all kinds of searches, all kinds of questions. Sometimes the search is for psychological well-being, sometimes for physical well-being, sometimes for spiritual well-being. I think for me, it's, it's a good practice to keep asking myself, what am I looking for? What is my question? And to keep asking, and it's not so much a, a something that you can encapsulate in, in a phrase or, or some words. You know, it may be, it may be, but, but not necessarily. I think much more it's something that you embody, something that you live. What is the question that you're living out of? And I, think, I think in some sense we all are living out of some sort of question. What is that question? And, and, you know, here in this order, we really stress the importance of, of being clear about the question because that is, in a sense, it's your intention. Intention is very important in, well, in, as far as I can tell in, in human reality. What is the, ten- the intention that we're acting out of? And, and in, in, this, in practice, in particular, it's important because if you're not necessarily clear about what your intention is, it's very easy to get sidetracked, or if things become difficult, to get uh, swept off uh, off off of track. So it's it can be helpful to you to to be clear about what your question is. So. This is the first stage, the search for the ox. Traditionally, this is the beginning of, of the, the spiritual path. But I think my own experience, and I think in many people, the first stage isn't actually the beginning. By the time we get to the place where we're able to articulate this search, or to feel this search, uh, to, to start searching for something, often we've already done quite a bit of work to even get to that point. Dido used to tell a story, and, and I believe Shugen, you may have heard this story. Shugen told it as well. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a um, a Japanese priest, a uh, Zen priest, who was visiting the temple, um, the monastery, uh, with his son. And often the way it works in Japan is the, the temples are uh, they're, they're a family business, uh, and so... Uh, it 's often passed on from from father to son, or, or it 's okay to turn off the phone don 't worry about it um, it's, so, so they 're passed on from one generation to the next and um, and apparently this this son was not particularly enthusiastic about being a, a Zen priest, and maybe he wanted to do something else so this this father brought his son to the monastery, thinking. Well, maybe a stay at Zen Mountain Monastery would help him, you know, shape him up, you know, change his mind, uh, spark his interest in Zen in practice. And they were standing there, the father and the son and then Daido and Shugen, looking at the pictures, kind of just contemplating them. And the father points to the left of the first stage on the blank spot on the wall and says, my son is here. So I guess stage zero, he hasn't even started the path. But as I, you know, I've, I've come over the years to really have um, more appreciation for stage zero. Um, I think it's really important. You know, it's not, it's not one of the ones on the, on the wall there, but, and I think of this as, you know, before you raise the Bodhi mind, before it occurs to you that there may be a, a different way to live your life, um, what's, what's happening then? Something is is happening. I mean, from one point of view, um, it's perhaps a, an unfortunate or lamentable state to be completely in the realm of samsara, I guess, what we would call it. But you could also look at it maybe differently and think that this is a... It's a very... Uh, it's got a lot of potential, and that nothing has happened at all. There's no sense of what Zen practice is or what it might be. And in that sense, it's completely limitless. It's completely open. In that sense, it's, it's, it's the most pure uh, stage. We sometimes, in, the, in this tradition, there's a phrase that we sometimes use called the, uh, we talk of the, the stink of Zen. And that, that usually refers to uh, perhaps having some sort of um, experience or insight or attainment and, and uh, grabbing onto that, attaching to it. You know, it can be, it can be very overt. I don't know if, if, if you've ever had the experience of uh, being on the receiving end of someone's monologue about their, um, you know, their, their spiritual enlightenment or their, um, I don't know, their, their peyote trip or their you know, their, their encounter with Jesus or something. And if, if someone's just talking on and on and they're not really interested in you, you know, it, it gets old fast. And it can, it can be more subtle. You know, we attach to, uh, you know, becoming a student, you know, having a rock zoo, being ordained, passing mu, whatever it is. I don't, I don't think there's anything, it's not bad. It's just, it's natural that we do, um, it's good to appreciate these. These are attainments, they're, they're important, they're, they're good in themselves. But the problem is when we, we stick to them and become attached to them. You know, as one of the, uh, for me, one of the, the real gifts of, of lay practice, of practicing in the, the secular world, is that it's a lot harder to maintain this stink of Zen, you know, you have to deal with people who don't know the first thing about Zen and aren't particularly interested in it. And so it's hard to maintain this uh, aura of, of um, uh, preciousness. People sometimes talk about going into the wilderness as being a, a very strict and unforgiving but powerful teacher. And I, I, I feel lay practice is, is similar in a way. Monastic practice is very powerful because you have a community of of, um, people with a, a similar intention and dedication to waking up and this structure that really supports you when your mind strays. But it's easier to get caught up, in my experience there in the monastery, in this sort of sense of I'm doing something special above and apart from the world. And so it's, you know, it's inevitable that we do sort of grab onto these attainments or teachings. You know, in a sense, it's no different if I grab onto the idea of, I don't know, if I, I want to get a Mercedes or how many Instagram likes I have or if I pass certain koans. You know, in a sense, it's, 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 all of those are just uh, buttressing the sense of, of the subject, the person, the one who has these attainments, whatever they are. But we work with them. Part of the way the practice works is that, you know, you hold on to something and then the teacher or the, the, the practice holds out something else, you know, for you. Eventually, you get a little dissatisfied with your, whatever you're holding on to, as we inevitably do. It's sort of like, you know, I'm thinking, it's sort of like, you know, if you see a, a dog that has a little toy and then you hold up a big juicy bone and it's sort of holding on to the toy and it, it's thinking of going for the bone, but it doesn't want to let go of it but then it knows there's something better. And then for an instant, maybe it'll let go of the toy and then go for the bone. And then it's grabbing onto something else. But in a, for a moment there, it's not holding on to anything. There's a moment from one to the other where it's, there's some freedom. And we keep, you know, I, in my experience, so much of practice is just holding out a juicier bone <laughs> for you to go for but not about getting the bone. I remember years ago Dada roshi was down here to give a retreat about the 10 stages of zen and he was going through these slides. He was talking about each one and he had this whole like basically mandala where each stage had, you know, things you were working on sutras that you were studying, koans that you would be working on, ways of working with the teacher, how this was manifesting in your work life, and so on and so forth. Someone asked him a question about a particular stage, so he was flipping back to the slides trying to find the relevant one to answer it. And he, for a moment, he hit on this slide. You know, there's 10 stages, but he hit on this slide where it's like stage A, B, C, D, after stage 10, post-enlightenment stages of training. And he's kind of flipping through it the way he would do, and he's like, Oh, no, that's not it. And he kept going. And I was like, it was elaborate. It's like all this information. I was like, wait, what's on that one? I wanted, to, I wanted to see, you know. I was too shy to ask about it at the time, so I never did. I don't know, you know, knowing Dido, I don't, I, I was, afterwards I thought, was, was he just messing with us? Um, maybe. I mean, in a way you could say that, that all of this practice is just Messing with us. You know, the robes, the ceremony, the stages, the koans to pass through. It's messing with us. But but in a way, the intention is it's messing with us in order to help us be free. Not just to mess with us. You know, there's a metaphor that the teachings are like soap. You use them to wash off the dirt and then you wash off the soap. So this, this point of not being, of letting go of any attainments in practice, it's, we sometimes speak of it as um, beginner's mind. Um, Shinriyo Suzuki says, um, the goal of practice is always to keep our beginner's mind. Suppose you recite the Heart Sutra only once. It might be a very good recitation. But what would happen if you recited it twice, three times, four times or more? you might easily lose your original attitude towards it. The same thing will happen in your other Zen practices. Even so, these, these stages, they're, they're helpful. They're skillful means. I, I, I can speak of stage zero as being completely pure. But, but in a sense, it's kind of dead unless this search happens, this was, in a, you know, this was Dogen Zenji. This was the founder of this lineage. This was his question. If we are all enlightened and perfect from the very beginning, why do we need to practice? Clearly, he did practice. You know, it, it it does seem necessary um, that we practice, very, that we actually put a lot of effort into this, put ourselves wholly into this search. And it's, it, it's a little bit, um, I don't know what to say, absurd or, or preposterous because all the search is, is you go through this long search in order to, end up back where you originally started, really. You know, it's like if you've seen that, the, the ENSO, the Zen ink circle um, on black ink, usually on a white rice paper. You know, it starts, it goes all the way around in a big circle, and it comes right back to where it started, although not quite exactly the same. There's a little, there's a little gap. The ends usually don't join. At the uh, at the towards the end of the uh Mountains and Rivers Sutra, which is one of Dogen's Zenji's many sort of um sort of splendid uh mind blowing uh, texts. He takes the 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 teaching of the mountain and the rivers, which is literally mountains and rivers, and also all of the phenomenal universe. And he really, he takes the mountain and he turns it upside down and inside out. He talks about mountains walking, mountains flowing, mountains hidden in the sky, mountains hidden in fire, mountains hidden in hiddenness, mountains giving birth to mountain children. It it really turns it inside out. And at the very end of the sutra, he comes back to this very simple phrase, and he says, he quotes an old teacher, and he says, an ancient Buddha says, mountains are mountains, and rivers are rivers. This teaching does not mean that mountains are mountains. It means that mountains are mountains. You know, when we we do beginning instruction, you start counting the breath, and you count to 10. But the instruction is, if you reach 10, you just go back to 1. You're not really getting anywhere. In Kenham, we just walk around in circles. We're not really getting anywhere. But we are. There's a difference between mountains and mountains, and mountains are mountains. So the, the ox-hurting poem to the first stage says, with strength depleted and mind exhausted, you cannot find it. You've exhausted yourself searching. There's nothing there. And the, the last line says, there's only the gentle rustle of maple leaves and the cicada's evening song. You know, I, I, I feel like in this last line, the whole, all the stages are in that, that last line, those maple leaves rustling, that cicada's song. You know, it's, it's the whole enchilada in that, that line. It's already there. You know, sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. Uh, and practice is, a, a lot of practice is just um, cultivating the faith that it's there when we don't see it and continuing Persevering. The gentle rustle of maple leaves and the cicada's evening song. Or you could say, the rumble of the subway and the hubbub of rush hour traffic. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as meditation cushions, incense, malas, liturgical instruments, books, and more, visit the Monastery Store at monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.